The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. Lord, thank you so much for this church, for the people here, God. Thank you for the love that you've shown us in Christ, God. Lord, thank you for the provision of this building, a gift of your grace that we don't deserve, but we are so thankful, Lord, that we get to gather here and enjoy you and worship you and enjoy one another, Lord. God, as we turn to your word, pray for soft hearts to hear what you have to teach us, that you can give your grace to us through it, Lord, and that we might live for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you woke up earlier this morning, I don't know how late you all woke up since it's a later service, but if you woke up early this morning, there was a very thick frost on the grass. And so before we head into winter, I want to just remind you a little bit about summer. Um, This past summer, one of the great blessings for our family is that Trisha's parents bought a lake house. And so we got to go to this lake house, and we love going to the lake house because we get to relax, we get to unwind, we get to enjoy family, we get to enjoy God's creation together. We love kayaking, we love just exploring. And one evening, we decided to take the family out. It was towards dusk, and we we boated off to the side of the lake that is a little bit more uh, secluded, and we turned off the motor. We jumped in the lake and we took off our life jackets and put them under us and sat in them like floating chairs. And we sat there and we watched the sunset. And it was nothing too, uh, too amazing to write home about, but it was a wonderful time of just being with the family, relaxing and enjoying God's creation. You know, as we move into this church building, it is certainly a blessing from God And people have asked me, what do you think of the new church? How do you like the new church? All that stuff. I said, for me, it's kind of like going to my cabin. Because when you drive here, you come up, you get on Lineville Road, you go through 15 roundabouts, and then you hit a stop sign and civilization ends, right? There's like all of these neighborhoods, you hit that stop sign, and then there's trees and farm field. But if you go just a little bit farther, then there's our church. And so I said, I'm like, whenever I go to work in the morning or whenever I come out here on Sunday, I feel like I'm going to my cabin, but it's really close to town. You know, one of my fears for us as a church and for me as an individual is that as we move into this church building, that we would treat it like a cabin. Because oftentimes when churches build buildings, one of the things that happens is they become more inward focused. They become more focused on enjoying one another and enjoying the building. And they lose sight of the mission that God has called us to, which is to reach out with the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, God has not called us to be a shack in the woods. He's called us to be a city on a hill and to shine our light before the community that's around us and to not put it under a bowl or a bushel, not to hide it, but to shine brightly for all to see. And so the question is, how do we ensure that we as a church don't become all about us? How do we make sure that we as a church don't just become about our comfort and enjoying this building, but that we remain missional? You see, we gather here to be blessed by God, but then we scatter to be a blessing to others. How do we make sure that happens? Well, really, it's by remembering our mission statement. 
life in Christ, but then also Christ in life. If you would please open it up to John chapter 4. We're going to be continuing the story of the woman at the well. It's page 888 in the Red Bible and page 1147 in the Children's Bible. Last week, if you were here, we covered the first half of our mission statement and the first half of this story. In the first half of this story, Jesus comes across a woman at the well. And we studied our first half of our mission statement, which is life in Christ. And what we learned was that the gift of life in Christ is the gift of God in us through the Holy Spirit. That the goal of life in Christ is to worship God in spirit and in truth, wherever we are, in the depth of our soul, both for God's glory, but also for our enjoyment of him. And that the giver of life in Christ is a Trinitarian God. That the gospel is conceived of by God the Father, that it is accomplished by God the Son, and that it is implanted in us through God the Holy Spirit. Today we're going to look at the second half of this story and the second half of our mission statement, which is Christ in life. And so I want to start by looking at the heart of Christ in life. You know, one of the greatest challenges, one of the greatest obstacles to being the light of Jesus in this community is that we simply don't care. We grow apathetic towards God's mission and God's calling in our life. If you have trusted in Christ for your salvation, if you're a follower of him, you know that God has called you to be a light to the world. And it's said that often when we first come to faith in Christ, we are high on zeal and low on tact. I'm sure many of you have stories of when you first came to know Jesus and you go tell everybody and you just destroy all your relationships. But then as we grow in Christ, many times we become high on tact but low on zeal. And we no longer let our light shine before men. And so how do we get the heart, the motivation to bring Christ into every area of our life, to let his light shine before men? And for us, this Samaritan woman in John 4 is extremely instructive. If you remember from last week, Jesus was halfway on his journey from Judea up to Galilee. And he went through the region of Samaria. And as he was going through Samaria, he stopped at a well called Jacob's Well. And it was just outside a town called Sychar. Now, while Jesus was there, he sent his disciples in town to go get some food. And he sat there and a woman came out to the well with a bucket. And she came about the noon hour, as we'll talk about more later. But she came out and Jesus asked her for a drink. And from this question, it actually sparks a theological discussion. And that's where we pick up the story. So we'll look at John chapter 4. We'll start in verse 25 and we'll start reading there. John 4, 25. The woman said to Jesus, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, why, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? If you remember, at this time, it was not customary for a Jewish man to talk to a Samaritan woman. If they had to do business, they would talk to a Samaritan man. And so they were surprised because of the racism and sexism of the time that Jesus would be talking to this woman. But he cuts through all of that and he asks her a question. He asks her, Verse 28, so the woman left her water jar 
and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Remember the story of this woman. Remember that she was the town tramp. That she came out during the noon hour because she was ashamed of what she had done, but she was also ashamed of who she was, and she didn't want to encounter any other people. She didn't anyone want to see her. She didn't want anyone to talk to her because of her shame. But then something flipped. Something changed. This woman who came out ashamed of who she was went back into town unashamed to tell everyone she could about this man, Jesus. And the question is, what happened? What changed? What flipped that made this woman who was avoiding everyone, now wants to engage everyone with the life that's found in Jesus. I think the answer is here in verse 28 and 29. You read in 28 that the woman left her water jar and went back to town. And now that's an interesting detail that would be included in Scripture. And the question is why? Why is it important to know that she left her water jar at the well? Well, there could be a couple of reasons. One reason could be that she wanted to hurry back to town and bring people back before Jesus left. And that, that jar would have been very heavy. It would have been very sizable and it would have slowed her down. And so she left it behind. But the other potential reason is because she was so overwhelmed by what had just happened. She was oh so overwhelmed by her encounter with Jesus that she realized that her physical thirst was secondary. And that her spiritual thirst had been quenched by the gift of life in Christ. Now, what's so fascinating is this woman flips to go share Jesus because she has this encounter. Because Jesus teaches her with, treats her with dignity and respect and love. But not only that, Jesus does this while all the while knowing about her sin and her shame. Do you see the very first thing she says to the townspeople when she goes back? Verse 28, I'm sorry, verse 29. It goes on after she leaves her water jar. She goes to town and this is what she says. She says, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Do you remember all that she ever did? Do you remember her reputation? I could imagine the people hearing that and saying, really, this guy knows all that you ever did and he's still talking to you? Jesus had exposed that he knew that she had been divorced five times. That she was now living with some guy that was not her husband. And while this sin in her life, this shame in her life made everyone run away from her, because of it, Jesus drew near to her. Jesus knows the worst of her and still engages her and offers her living water and life in Christ. Now, whether or not she left a jar for one of these reasons or both of these reasons. What we do know is that she left a jar because she had encountered Christ. And Jesus gave her what every person longs for, to be fully known and to be fully loved. Have you looked for that? Have you searched for that? This woman had. And every man, she'd look for someone who would know her warts, who would get to know her character. After the honeymoon wore off, the men left her. But there was one man who knew warts and all, who knew everything about her, all of her sin, all of her shame. And yet he drew new to her, near to her because he loved her and he cherished her and he cared for her. And the fact that she had found someone who fully knew her, knew the worst of her, 
and still fully loved her was so radical and so overwhelming that she had to go tell everyone about it. You see, everyone here is an evangelist for the thing they most unashamedly cherish. Matter of fact, everyone in the world is an evangelist for the thing they most unashamedly cherish. See, everyone was made in the image of God, and our God is an evangelist. He's a proclaimer of good news. He speaks life. He speaks redemption. He speaks forgiveness. He speaks resurrection. God loves to proclaim good news. And because you were made in God's image, and because everyone was made in God's image, all of us were created to be evangelists, to be proclaimers of good news. And we do that for the things we most unashamedly cherish. Let me give you an example. Last month, my family went on a trip to St. Louis. And I was looking for a stopping point midway between Green Bay and St. Louis so the kids could stretch their legs. And so I looked on the internet and I found a place called Matheson State Park. And it is by Thirsty Rock, I believe it's called. I called it Hungry Rock in the first service. Thirsty Rock State Park down there. And uh, it's the home of the Illinois Dells, which I didn't even know Illinois had Dells, but I've heard of the Wisconsin Dells. I just thought it meant water slides, but it means more than that. And so we went to the Illinois Dells, and we actually have pictures of it up here. So here's a picture of my son, Caleb. And evidently, Dells are, maybe they're, they're canyons carved out by water. I don't know, but there was this canyon, and we walked down and back and forth in it. You can see Corbin up there actually as well. But it's just beautiful to walk down this canyon. You can go to the next slide. And then you see here a picture of our family, and you can see the canyon. You can see the waterfall. And it was just absolutely gorgeous. And so as we're driving back from from St. Louis, I'm asking my kids, hey, what's the favorite part of the trip? And they go, going to the Illinois Dells, which seems really odd, right? But as I got back, I, I told people, I'm like, hey, if you are ever in the middle of nowhere of Illinois, you have to go see this place. It's amazing. It's so much fun to just walk around it and see it. It's so cool. You see, what happened was I became an evangelist for Matheson State Park. I became an evangelist because it was something that we enjoyed, that we delighted in, that we cherished. And we would tell others, you have to go to this park if you're ever in the neighborhood. You see, we do this all the time. We are always evangelists, right? I mean, sometimes people are evangelists for the Packers when it's a better season, right? Sometimes people are evangelists for Costco or for the latest trinket or tool or, or whatever it might be, a recipe, a certain food, a certain movie, a certain book. We love to go and tell people, you got to read this book. You got to see this movie. It's amazing. The reason we do this is because we were created to be evangelists. We were created to be proclaimers of good news. And so the question isn't whether or not you are an evangelist. The question is, what are you evangelists for? You see, it's good, it's okay to, to tell people, you got to read this book, you got to see this movie. That's, that's perfectly fine. But if I were to sit with your coworker or with your neighbor or with your friend and I would say, what does this person most cherish? What would they say? Would they say, this person most cherishes the Packers or most cherishes fill in the blank? Or would they say they cherish Jesus? You see, the secret to cherishing Jesus unashamedly is to realize that Jesus first unashamedly cherished you. You know, Jesus knows all of your sin. He knows all of your warts. He knows everything that's wrong with you, even more than your spouse does if you're married. And yet he cherishes you. He delights in you and he loves you. You are fully known and fully loved. And to remember that all we have to do is look at the cross I mean, the whole reason Jesus went to the cross was because he knew your sin. But the reason he went to the cross was because he fully loves you. 
And he went to pay the penalty for your sin that you could be with him forever. And so where do we get the heart and the fire and the motivation to bring Christ into life? By unashamedly cherishing the Jesus who first unashamedly cherished us. Second thing I want to look at is the health of Christ in life. Is bringing Christ into life optional for us? Or is it just for really bold people, or really spiritual people, or maybe trained people? Or is it a mandate for all people? Look at verse 31 with me. It says, Meanwhile, while the woman is back in Sychar telling everyone about Jesus, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? You know, it's so interesting that Jesus refuses the food from the disciples. They get to this well and Jesus sends them in town to go get food. And they come back with the food that Jesus has requested. And they bring it to him. They say, Jesus, here's the food that you asked us to get. And Jesus says, I don't want it. It's so weird. It's strange. It's almost like he's even rebuking them by saying, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And what's funny is they confirm it by saying, did someone come give him some food? Like they didn't know anything about this food. What is Jesus trying to teach them? What is he trying to teach us? Well, let's look at verse 34. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. You know, the two most basic needs in life are food and water. Shelter's right there as well, but food and water are the things you need to survive. And in this story, Jesus uses both of those to show us the most important necessities in life. Last week, he used water, right? He talked about a well springing up into eternal life, that, that we need to have life in Jesus Christ. This is a necessity for our salvation. But then he continues to tell us another necessity, food, sustenance for his soul, which is to bring Christ into all of life, to live a mission, not just for ourselves, but live a mission for Jesus. He continues and says, my food, my sustenance, my nutrition is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. What is that will that God has? Well, when we look at this passage, verse 35, we see that it's to go out and bring Christ into all of life. Look with, at verse 35 with me. Jesus says, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is giving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I send you to labor that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Very simply put, the will of the Father, the food for our souls, is to go out and share Christ with those around us. You know, I realize this topic of sharing our faith and evangelism has been pretty commonplace at Jacob's Wells. We've gone through the book of Acts. And I know it's pretty uncomfortable for a lot of us because it exposes maybe certain fears that we have or certain failures in our life. But Jesus draws a laser beam of focus and says, this is so important that you bring Christ into your life, into the neighborhoods around you, not only for the extension of Christ's kingdom in this world, but for the extension of Christ's kingdom in your heart and in your life. See, Jesus' food is our food. 
This means that if you come today and you feel spiritually anorexic or spiritually weak or spiritually apathetic, if you have lost the joy of your salvation, it could be because you are not eating your food. It could be because you are not doing the will of the Father. It could be because you are keeping Christ to you, not bringing Christ into your life. You know, it kind of seems strange that, that going and doing something would be so important, so revitalizing to our soul. But think of it like working out or going for a jog. I don't know about you, but the way I work out is I go for a jog. And when I'm getting ready to go for a jog, I usually say, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go. Right? Like, why am I going jogging? Why don't I just sit here and drink coffee? It sounds so much better, right? Or just eat bacon, whatever it might be. But then I talk myself into it. I say, okay, it's worth the time. It's worth the effort. And I go for a jog. And so I'll go for a jog. And as I'm coming back, I'll think to myself, that was awesome. Why don't I do this every day? It's so revitalizing to my body. I mean, can you relate to that? I don't know if you've ever been there. But then I'll wake up the next morning and I'll say, I really don't want to go. Like, I'd just rather sit here and eat bacon and drink coffee, right? But then I go and I come back. So revitalizing to my body. In the same way, Jesus is saying, listen, if this is a muscle that you have not exercised of of sharing Christ with others, it is going to revitalize your soul. It is nourishment for your soul. You know, as I stepped out and I I call myself a scared evangelist, as I tell others about Jesus, even though I'm, I'm fearful many times, what I've seen in my own heart, in my own life, is it makes the gospel afresh not only to them, but to me. As I've walked people through the journey evangelism study, it's so cool to see how the gospel has just brought life to them, to their souls and to their spirits, because they are doing what Jesus said, which is to eat the the food of God, which is to do the will of the Father and tell others about Christ. And so the heart of Christ in life is unashamedly cherishing the Christ who first unashamedly cherished us. But the health of Christ in life is telling others the good news about Jesus. Finally, I want to look at the health of life in Christ. And we're going to camp out here for a bit because Jesus does a teaching on this, but then we also see it displayed through this Samaritan woman. So first, I want to look at the teaching. And as we look at the teaching, we see Jesus tells us a lot about harvesting. He uses, he uses farming illustration to display or to teach about sharing your faith about evangelism. And the first thing he shows us is harvest timing. In verse 35, he said, Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. At our house, we have a garden off to the side, and our son Caleb likes to plant the plants, and he plants tomato plants. And you've probably done it, and you know how it goes. You plant the seed. You let the sun come, you water it, it grows, and then a couple months later, you harvest it, right? This is the way that farming works for everything, except evangelism. It's so interesting because Jesus says they coincide. Sowing and reaping happen at the same time. You can sow now and you can reap now. This was the mistake that the disciples made. You see, the disciples thought they were just passing through Samaria to go up to Galilee. And that Galilee was really the area where they were going to do ministry. Samaria was just something to get through. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I have you right here, right now for this purpose, to sow and to reap. You know, you may be at a point in your life, either in your job or in something where it's very temporary. You think, I'm just getting through this. Did you know that there is no mistake that you are there at this time? 
That God has called you there to sow the good news of the gospel, of life in Jesus Christ, and that a harvest can be reaped. And so that is harvest timing. It coincides with sowing. Next we see harvest rejoicing. Verse 36, Jesus says, Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. If you ever get a chance to look at Luke 15, Jesus is meeting with these unclean sinner Gentiles. And the Pharisees are judging Jesus for enjoying them. And Jesus tells three parables rapid fire. He tells a parable about the shepherd that lost one sheep and he left the other nine to go get that lost sheep. And then he tells about a woman who lost a coin and she sweeps the house and finds it. And he talks about a prodigal son who was lost but now has come home. And in all of these parables, the way that it ends is with rejoicing, with delighting. As a matter of fact, it says that even heaven rejoices over one sinner who repents. And so as we get to step out and share the good news of Christ and bring Christ into our life, we get a front row seat to the joy of salvation. We get a front row seat to the joy of heaven. And we get to share in that with them. And so that is harvest rejoicing. Finally, Jesus says, talks about harvest partnering. Verse 37 says, For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. You know, I don't know how it is at your house, but at my house, usually the person who's planting the seeds is the same person who's picking the tomatoes. But what Jesus says here is that evangelism, sharing your faith, is not like that. That many times there are multiple sowers and there are reapers. You know, this is important for us to understand because what Jesus is teaching us is that it is not up to you to change a person's heart. That all you are all that is up to you is to simply sow the seed, the good news of Jesus, and that God will reap the harvest in his timing. See, evangelism is kind of like a baseball game, okay? In a baseball game, sometimes you have a pitcher that pitches the entire game, but that's pretty untypical, right? Usually there is an opener, there's a reliever, there's a middle reliever, and there's a closer, right? And, and it doesn't matter who throws the last pitch. If they win the game, everybody rejoices. Everybody celebrates, you have no idea where you are in God's rotation in a person's life. You may be the opener for someone. You might be sharing the good news of the gospel that they had never heard before or never considered before. Maybe you're in the middle of that rotation. You're a reliever and you're telling them more about Jesus than what they had known before. Or maybe you get the honor of being the closer and you get to rejoice in their salvation with them. See, what God calls us to do is to sow and he will gather the fruit. When I was in college, I was in a fraternity house, and um, I told a lot of my fraternity brothers about Jesus. And uh, I did it. It was pretty immature, actually, at the time. I was young, and I didn't know how to share my faith. And anyways, I told a lot of them about Jesus, and, and I kind of left discouraged because no one really said, okay, no one, no one claimed to come to faith in Christ. So I was a bit discouraged, but but then I left and I started talking to my campus minister, Chad, who had continued to minister to these guys. And, and a lot of these guys ended up coming to faith in Christ later. And, and so Chad and I would rejoice in this together. You see, I was an opener for a lot of these guys and Chad was a closer, but we got to rejoice together in their salvation. 
And so harvesting is a partnering effort. One sows and another reaps, but they rejoice together. Now that is what Jesus teaches us about sharing our faith and about harvesting. But now we see it displayed in the life of this woman and in the life of these townspeople. Now, before I go into it, I just want to point out and remind you that there are 12 trained disciples that just went into Sychar, okay? 12 men that have been following around this rabbi Jesus. They go into town, they leave town, and the town is completely unchanged, okay? And then the woman goes into town. Verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. You know, this woman was not theologically trained. She did not go through a course on evangelism explosion or how to become a contagious Christian or even the journey. She didn't go through any of these things. And yet she went back into town and probably in a stammering, uh, uncoherent type of way said, you have to come meet this man, Jesus. And we see the results of it. And it's staggering. The whole town is transformed by this one woman's messy testimony. You know, it's been said that there may be other people that can share the gospel better than you, which is probably true, but no one can share a better gospel than you. You see, the gospel we have to share is the best gospel of all, that Jesus fully knows us and yet still fully loves us. The great Chicago fire started on October 10th, 1871. Does anyone know how it started or who started it? Anyone know who started it? Miss O'Leary's cow. Very good. Way to go. There's a lot of theories about how it started. Some think that a guy started a fire to steal milk out of a barn. Someone else thought started a fire to get out of losing a card game and losing his money. But the most popular theory is that Miss O'Leary's cow tipped over a lantern and it started hay on fire and then the whole city was set ablaze. While we may never know who started the Chicago fire, we know how it started. Because we know how every fire is started. How is every fire started? With a single flame. With a single spark. And then it grows and it grows and it grows. See, this woman, this Samaritan woman, was just one spark. But the city was dry kindling. It was ready to be set ablaze. And it makes it so amazing that the disciples went into town and came out of town and left it completely untouched. God's harvest through this woman is nothing short of a revival. And it happened not because she was a great orator or because she had perfect theology, but simply because she had been transformed by the love of Jesus and she dared to open her mouth. You know, we have no idea where there might be piles of dry kindling around this town. Maybe your office is dry kindling. Maybe your school is dry kindling. Maybe your neighborhood is dry kindling. All God calls us to do is simply open our mouth, to have spiritual conversations, to tell people about Jesus, to see where the blaze might come. We are given a great privilege to take the gospel message of salvation and bring it to others who so desperately need it so that the Lord Jesus might reap a harvest 
and we might rejoice together. Let me end with this. As we look at this passage, as we consider the separate characters, if you were honest, which character would you be? Maybe you're here today and you're like the townspeople. You don't know about Jesus. You came here to hear about Jesus, but you really don't understand who he is. We are so glad and so thankful that you are here. But today you can know that Jesus knows you. Jesus knows all about you and he's not rejecting you. He's inviting you to come to him, to enjoy him and to be loved by him. Maybe you're here today and you're like one of the disciples. You follow Jesus, you learn about Jesus, you talk about Jesus, you teach Jesus to those in your circles, but you leave the city that you go into completely untouched. You don't bring Christ into that part of your life. I think the common thing to respond, way to respond to this is to become defensive, to say, well, I'm, I'm just not outgoing or, or I, I don't know how to say it right or I don't know how to do this or that. But, but what God says is, come to me, repent. I forgive you. I love you. I care for you. And say, Lord Jesus, please give me your heart for the world around me. Give me your heart for my neighborhood. Give me your heart for my workplace. So maybe you're the townspeople. Maybe you're the disciples. But if you are lucky, you're like the tramp. See, the tramp was doing the will of God. Her and Jesus were the only ones doing it. She was sowing and she was reaping. And although she came out of town ashamed of who she was at this town tramp, she returned into town unashamed because she was engaged to be the bride of Christ for all eternity. And she went and told everyone she could about Jesus. Last week I mentioned this old rugged cross and how I had a privilege of staining it. Before I stained it, I, I was on the scaffolding up top and I took a magic marker and I wrote on it, Jacob's Well, November 20th, 2016, and wrote Life in Christ, Christ in Life. If you're new to Jacob's Well, the, term, the, the, the name Jacob's Well might seem strange or weird to you for the name of a church, but we think it's the perfect name for a church because Jacob's Well in John 4 is what a church should be. It should be a place where people come with all of their sin, all of their shame, warts and all, come and encounter the love of a Savior to find life in Jesus Christ and then to go back and bring Christ into all of life. You know, one, one of the ironies that struck me this week is that Jacob's Well in John chapter 4 was, was a little over a half mile outside the town of Sychar. And why this was so ironic to me is because that stop sign where civilization ends is a little bit over a half mile away from this Jacob's well. But you see, the gospel does not have barriers like that. The gospel can break forth. It can go in. It can change and transform the city. Even though we're not right inside the city, although we're outside and this is kind of like our own little sanctuary out here, we can transform the city as we go back to be a blessing to the community. We have been called not to be a holy huddle or a cabin in the woods. We've been called to be a city on a hill, a beacon of the light and love of Christ. We have been called to come and find life in Jesus Christ, but then to go and bring Christ into all of life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you see all of us, the worst parts of us, the worst thoughts, the worst images, the worst actions of our life and you do not run away you draw near 
and you offer us life that we are searching for. God, pray that we would enjoy this life that you've given to us in Christ and that we would bring Christ into all of our life. Give us courage, give us boldness. Lord, as we turn to your supper, we are reminded that you dwell in us, that you come in us through your Holy Spirit and that you live in us to give us joy in you, to give us boldness to speak of you. And so God, we pray that you would do that this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
resurrection, it emboldens God's people and it proclaims God's victory for God's glory. Let's pray. Lord, you tell us to come and to give thanks for all of the trials in our life. And so we come to give thanks for the adversities in our life, for the trials in our life, knowing that in those adversities, you are doing something beautiful. And Lord, we confess that often we do not see it that way. Often we seek to to, to run away from it as fast as possible. But God, pray that you would give us the audacious faith in the midst of the adversity to glorify you in all things. Lord, as we turn to your table, again, we are reminded that the adversity that you face on our behalf at the cross is what led to our salvation, and we praise you for that. God, pray as we take these elements that we be reminded of the great salvation that we have in Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.